We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys on this beautiful spring. The first service I said summer. I think I was prophesying to the weather. Can I get an amen, somebody? Who doesn't like 80 degrees in May? It's amazing out. So good for you to get into church this morning. And uh, I am going to jump back into our message series called Sculpted, based on the book of Ephesians. We've had a little bit of a break for the last couple weeks. I miss you guys. It's so good. I was so amped up to preach this morning. I think I about lost my voice in the first service, but I'm, uh, I'm still fired up. I can't wait to uh, see the effect of what God is doing in and through this word and this message this morning. I know that there were several right after first service that told me, Pastor Lance, in fact, there was this couple from Billings, and I love how God will bring people here, just like he's brought you here this morning to a place at a certain time, at a certain service, to hear exactly what God wants you to hear and impart to you exactly what God wants you to, to receive this morning. So I'm believing that. I want to give a shout out to our family in Eureka. We bless you guys. Love you guys. Jeremy, Shito, and crew up there. And our Hope City Church downtown, as well as all of you who are joining us online, we just want to welcome you as we jump back into this series. How many of you enjoyed the last couple of weeks? been amazing, hasn't it? I loved um, Russell Stendhal joining us a couple of weeks ago. Amazing missionary. Um, I believe he's more than a missionary. He's got an apostolic call in his life to the nation of Colombia and, and really South America, um, as well as writing a version of the Bible, the Jubilee version of the Bible. I mean, come on. That's amazing, isn't it? And we, we had the privilege and the honor to hear from him and there was something in his message that I really felt like was specific to us. I'm going to share that a little bit later. And then last week, Pastor Bob here on Mother's Day. What an honor to have one of my personal spiritual fathers and fathers of this house here with us. How many of you were impacted and enjoyed that message? That was just, man, how to leave a legacy. Man, moms, I know that that message was for you, but it was for all of us. And I don't know about you, but I was personally impacted deeply by that message and really just challenged me. And even so, I believe, what a perfect handoff. We had a couple of week break from our message series in Ephesians, left off chapter three. Now we're going to jump into chapter four. And even without it being planned, I believe that God had a plan. And what Pastor Bob spoke about last week on Mother's Day really is the perfect handoff to what I want to speak to you about today as we get into Ephesians chapter 4. But let me catch you up to speed a little bit. I know many of you um, are newer to the church. Maybe some of you missed some of the messages in this series. Um, maybe you just got amnesia after taking a break from me preaching to you for a couple of weeks. And so I want to remind you that where we are right now in this message series is in the book of Ephesians, Paul, like a, a master craftsman, has been laying a foundation in the first three chapters of who we are in Christ. I mean, it is just some deep, rich theology reminding us of, of who we are in Christ, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what he imparted to us. And just in case you forgot, I want to remind you with some verses that I, I just handpicked out of the first couple of chapters First of all, you have been called to be children of God by adoption. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. God has accepted you, chapter 1, verse 6. God has redeemed you, chapter 1, verse 7. God has forgiven your sins, chapter 1, verse 7. He has made known to you the mystery of his will. Praise God for that. Have you, he has made you heirs with God, chapter 1, verse 11. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 13. He has made us alive together in Christ, chapter 2, verse 5. He has saved you by his grace, not by works, so nobody can boast. It is a gift that he's given us. He has seated you in heavenly places with Christ. He is working in you to prepare you to accomplish his eternal purposes. Verse two, ch chapter 2, verse 10. He has brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ, like we did in communion this morning. He has reconciled us to God. He has given you access 
to the Holy Spirit and to the Father. He has made you a fellow citizen of God's household. He now indwells in you the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you and is alive in me. And he has poured out his love into your hearts and my hearts so that we can experience the depth of his love for us. Church, he's given us all that in Christ Jesus. And now Paul is taking what we've known and what he's told us about who we are in Christ, our position in Christ. And now he's going to lead us as we get into chapter 4 into how we walk it out practically in everyday life. In other words, how do we put this into action now what we know? Because we know that doctrine, good doctrine, good theology isn't just enough. It needs to go from here to here to our feet and to our hands, and we need to walk this out. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to read verses 1 through 17. And I love the title of this passage. How many of you love the Word of God? Man, I love the Word of God. And I love this passage. It's so rich. In fact, um, I'm going to bring you part one of this message next week. You're going to have to come back to hear part two because there's just so much good stuff in here. There's just too much to try to pack into one message. I was going to try to do it, but I had a backup plan, and I knew I was going to have to go to that backup plan because there's just too much good stuff in here. So listen to this. Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. Man, I could just drop the mic and be good right there. But we're going to keep going. He says in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He also descended... He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Does anybody want to attain to the full measure of the wholeness of Christ? I want it all. I want the full meal deal, the, the big deal, the big enchilada, the biggie deal, whatever it is, God, I want it. I want all of it. I want to be full of it in a good way. Then, focus people, we got scripture to read. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. Pray with me. God, we thank you that God, is the, through the reading of your word, God, it, we're not just reading words, we're reading life. Life is being imparted to us this morning. And so, Father, I pray that your word would be like a seed planted in your people this morning, that it would take root, that it would grow, that it would flourish, that it would bear fruit. Father God, today I pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We can't even 
comprehend what you want to do in us today without your help. So I pray right now, even as I'm preaching, and I give you this time, this is your time, this is your microphone, say what you want to say, do what you want to do. I pray that your word would go forth today, and God help us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would be enlightened today to your calling, to your destiny, and to your purpose for our life. In Jesus' name. And God, right now, I just want to lift up this great nation, the United States of America. God, I thank you that we have the honor and privilege because of the mighty men and women, the courage and the bravery went before us to fight for the freedom that we have. God, thank you for that freedom. God, help us to never take it for granted. God, we gather today to worship you because of that freedom. And so I honor those who've gone before us. But God, we not only honor those who've gone before us, we want to honor you, that this nation was built on, founded on the foundation, one nation under God, that you're our Lord, you're our Savior. And so, Father God, I pray for a great revival to sweep across this nation once again. God, let it begin with me. Let it begin with us. Let it begin with Hope Church. Let it begin in this valley. Let it spread like wildfire throughout Montana to the rest of this nation, God. I pray your Holy Spirit would blow upon this nation once again. God, we give you back our country. And we say, God, do what you need to do. We give it to you. I pray for President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. If they do not know you, that they would come to saving faith and knowledge of you. And I pray that you surround them with godly men and women. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is Make It Count. Make It Count. What I hear when Paul says right off the bat in Ephesians 1, he's saying, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, I beg you. The, the actual original language which Paul wrote this in, it's almost like a, a father pleading with his son in a, in, in a sense of urgency. And when even as I'm praying, it's just coming off the heels of praying for our nation. I think we are in a, in a living in a day and time where there needs to be a sense of urgency about our calling. And there needs to be a clarity about our calling because the time is short. One of the things that, that Russell Stendhal said when he was preaching a couple of weeks ago that really just caught me. He said that um, whether we're living in the, the last days or not, he said, you can tell the enemy knows his days are short, and he's trying to do a quick work, a quick work. And, and you could see that happening in our world right now. You could see that in the last year, when you think about how fast and how quick things have progressed and moved forward and how prevalent evil is, and it's almost like people don't even care anymore, and, and truth, and what Paul is talking about, how we need to be rooted and grounded in our knowledge of who God is and who we are in Christ because there's many that would want to deceive us and lead us astray and it's only going to get worse. And how are we going to stand in this time? And I believe Paul, just, just like I feel a sense of urgency as your pastor and as a local pastor in this valley and as part of the body of Christ at large, that, that we are living in a day and age that I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling for which you, you and I have been called. And there, there needs to be a, a fresh sense of urgency, an awakening. I believe that last year, as terrible as it was, and, and this pandemic, as hard as it has been to walk this out, I believe that, that years later we can maybe look back at this and say, that was one of the greatest. Now hear my heart. It isn't great that people are dying. It isn't great that people are suffering. But I believe that God uses all things for good for those who love him and those who are called according to what? His purpose. In other words, I got a call on my life. And if I'm going to lean in to, to the still small voice of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, not the crowd. You get lost in the crowd. You can turn on the news. You can get lost in all this stuff that's happening in the world right now. But if you choose to lean in to the still small voice, this could be one of the greatest gifts we've ever experienced in our lifetime. Because I believe it's a season where God is trying to wake us up. Time is short. I need you, and I urge you. I hear the Spirit of God saying, I urge you right now more than ever as the church to live a life worthy of the calling for which you've been called. And I don't know about you, but but I, I am here this morning, I am speaking to you not out of obligation, not because this is my vocation, but because this is my calling. God called me to this. 
And I'm passionate about this calling because I know that, that, that all my life I have this sense inside of me. Do you, you have to understand something this morning. That, that there's a scripture that says God planted eternity in the heart of human beings. There's something implanted into your DNA that knows deep inside that I am called for something more. That I'm not just called to punch a clock Monday through Friday. I'm not just called to a paycheck. I'm not just called to a career. But I have a divine calling from God. This is what Paul is talking about when he says the word calling. This word calling, he's not talking about your career. He's not talking, yeah, that can be part of it. But, God, but Paul is saying that you actually have a divine destiny in him. And I love that Paul starts out by saying, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. You see, Paul understood that I am compelled to do what I'm doing, not out of obligation, not because I have to, but I'm compelled by it. I'm gripped by it. God got a hold of my life, and because God got a hold of my life, now there's nothing else I can do but serve him. I'm a prisoner to my purpose. I'm chained to my calling. Paul, no matter whether he's in prison or he's beaten, nothing is going to stop him from serving God and fulfilling the call of God on his life. And I think, church, we need to have the same determination that Paul had. See, Paul, he, he was no different than you and me. He actually thought he had a different call. He thought he was called to persecute the church. He thought he was called to... Uh, be a man who knew the law and lived by the law perfectly and God had to knock him off his donkey. In other words, he was going somewhere that he thought he was supposed to go. He, he thought he had a calling and God interrupted what he thought so that he could get his attention and look what he had to do. He blinded him. Some of us need to be blinded to what we've known in the past so that we can embrace the calling that God has for us now. In fact, even prophetically, when, um, when Ron was up here doing communion, didn't he do a wonderful job, by the way? I love Elder Ron. I'm so grateful for the godly men and women in this church. I look out here, I'm so grateful for you, Marty. I'm so excited for the She event and what God is gonna do Friday night in this place. Women, you don't wanna miss it. You wanna get here, it's gonna be amazing. It'll rock your world, I guarantee it. Ron did such an amazing job. When he said, I want you to come up and get the elements, and he said, I think there's some in the back too. And Pastor David said, no, they're only in the front. And he said, you can only come forward. The Holy Spirit quickened in me that that's a word for some of you today, that God doesn't want you to go back. The only way to step into your calling is to go forward. In other words, you can't look back with regrets. You can't look back and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have done that. No, you're here now. God is here now. He's calling you now. There's a now word for you right now that the Holy Spirit is gonna quicken inside of you, and it isn't time to go back. It's time to go forward. But for many of us, this, this thing called calling is confusing because there's, there's a world's version of calling. There's, there's this idea that we have been born into this world system and we've been, if you will, indoctrinated just like Paul was into a world view and an ideology of what we think we should do with our life. And yet, sadly enough, too many people, in fact, I was thinking about, I was thinking about people like Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, I believe, had this amazing call of God on his life. And yet, as he even started, he started out as a gospel singer, anointed. I mean, go back, Google it, or Apple Music it, or whatever you do, Google Play it. Um, and if you Google, and you listen to some of those hymns, there's an anointing on him. In fact, at one point uh, after he had passed and he died, they interviewed Priscilla Presley, his wife, and she told the interviewer, she said, you know, um, Elvis always felt like he was called to be a preacher. And yet somehow the way he ended his life was by eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches and getting chubby and shooting up heroin 
and, and dying a sad life. And for many of us, we look at people in the world as a success, people that fulfill the calling, but, but they're broken because they actually didn't step into the, the call, the divine destiny that God had for their life. Yeah, they had um, giftings. God gave them natural abilities and giftings, but those giftings aren't for us to use on our own. God puts gifting in you. In fact, I love that Paul says, Jesus apportioned. It's kind of like in this room that, that God gave you a grace. He gave you gift. Like you were born, you were born with natural gifting and ability. But that isn't the kind of gifting that Paul is even talking about. Just like the calling isn't the kind of thing that, that we get from reading a book on seven steps to find your destiny <laughs> or five ways to find your calling. Like we want, we want a formula. We want, just tell me, how do I find my calling? And, and here, I'm going to help you so much this morning. There's no formula. I can't even tell you how to, yeah, I can give you, and those books can give you some clues. They can give you some, a little bit of help, kind of get you in the right direction. But let me tell you, the only way, and here's my, here's my first point. If we're going to make our life count, the first thing that I believe Paul is trying to tell us, he urges us that you got to get clear about your calling. And this is a major problem in the church. We're Christians and we're confused about our calling. Like we, we don't even know what that means. And, and I'm raising my hand with you and saying for years, I had no clue what my calling was. I knew I was called. I knew God had his hand on my life. There had been prophetic words spoken over my life. God had spoke to me in private. He'd spoke to me through people. He spoke to me through scripture. I knew God had a call on my life, but I didn't have a clue what that call was. I was confused about my calling. I think there needs to be a, a clarity in calling. But listen, the first thing I want to encourage you with is this. You're not going to find, the, the, the biggest way that you're going to find your calling is walking out your calling with God. Living in the mystery. Stepping into what God is saying to you and to me today, now. <laughs> and this is, see, we either think, I was having this conversation with my son because he, um, he graduated two years of Portland Bible College and I even got another son that's graduating. I've got a daughter who graduated two years ago. And so I'm kind of right in that, that sweet spot. <laughs> I guess that sounds kind of bad. Kicking them out. You're out. Get out of the nest now. I love my kids. I love that they're, they're still with us and in the house. But, but they're kind of in that phase of life. And this is for young people in the house this morning or maybe watching online. I just want to encourage you because I think there's so much pressure on young people today to figure it out. And I've watched this on my kids. Like, and even as adults, and there's so many of you in this room that, man, I just want to tell you that God, like it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, that you can forget about the past Forget it. All that you have is right now. All that we have as a guarantee is today. All that we have in guarantee, we can only go forward. I can't do anything about tomorrow, but I could begin to, today. It reminds me um, of a story that I was reading about this nurse, Christian nurse. She worked in this hospital, and um, this 60-year-old man came into the ER. And uh, he came into the ER, and he was in really bad shape but he was in there for several days. Every single day, the, the nurse would go in and pray over this man for his healing. She'd go in, spend time praying over him. God, would you heal him? Would you touch him? His symptoms didn't get better. They started actually getting worse to the point where one day um, they had to put him on a breathing machine because his breathing got so labored. The doctor told the nurses that he's probably, and, and the family, that he's probably going to pass within the next 24 hours. That nurse felt called to pray for him. And, and that calling was a prompting by the Holy Spirit. She prayed for him even more that particular evening before she went home after her shift. And then she went home for the night. The next morning she woke up and went back and she went back to the, the hospital fully expecting the man to have passed. And she walked down the hall and came around the corner and to her, like, just mind-blown amazement, she sees him sitting up in the bed eating breakfast, all cheery. And he's like, hey, he's like, you're the one who, 
who healed me. You're the one who prayed for me. He's like, thank you so much. She's like, I see you're feeling better. He's like, yeah. He's like, you healed me. Thank you. And, and she said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I didn't heal you. God healed you. He used me as a vessel to heal you, but God's the one who healed you. Now it's up to you to figure out why. You're alive right here, right now. The past doesn't matter, but it's up to you to figure out why. It's up to you to figure out what is the calling on my life? What does God have for me to do right now? Because Paul is very clear about this, that you have a call. He says, walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. That means not just the most godly people, not just the pastors, not the elders. It means every single one of you in here today that God has a call on your life and it is a divine call. It is a divine destiny. And it's something that's got to be birthed in your spirit that you just know. In fact, as I was praying for you, I just, my greatest prayer was that even through this, this would be more than a message, that it would be an enlightenment. Paul said, going back to chapter 2, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to the hope in which you've been called. In other words, there needs to be something spiritual that happens that, that in, in my natural eyes, I don't see my calling. But through the eyes of my heart, the heart was a metaphor in, um, in Hebrew for my mind, my will, and my emotions, my soul. Paul is saying that there's something that needs to be awakened in our soul so that the eyes of our heart can be enlightened by the Holy Spirit so we can see what God wants us to do clearly and we can have the power within us to obey it. I love that God just doesn't even awaken our eyes to see it. He actually put the Holy Spirit inside of you and inside of me to give you everything you need to walk it out. This is an action. This isn't something that we sit and we ponder our calling. It's something you proactively do with God, that you walk it out. How do you do that? What do, where do I start? What is he saying right now? That's it. What is God calling you to do right now? We know from Scripture that you're not here by accident. We know from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God had pre-planned, pre-ordained good works for you to do. So we said yes and amen to that a couple of weeks ago, but now Paul's getting into the nitty-gritty of how we actually walk this out. Love the Nacho Libre? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> you like that? That's good, isn't it? Love me some nacho. Paul's getting down to the nitty-gritty and saying, now it's time to start walking out what we say yes and amen to. And so I don't know exactly what my calling is, but I know that God called me to sign up for kids' ministry 14 years ago when I was sitting right where you sit. Pastor David said hallelujah because he was the kids' pastor at the time. And I started serving in kids' ministry, and maybe I thought, Maybe that's my calling. And then after four years of doing that, God said, I want, you, I want you to be the men's ministry director. And I stepped into that. And as I did that for a while, God opened up doors of ministry for me. And, and I started seeing through ministering to men that God had a higher call in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. I was still working. I still had a job. I was still making money in business. And I knew that even in that, see, calling, we think calling is limited to one thing, don't we? It's not. I'm called to many things. Actually, my first call is to be a son of God. My second call is now, because I'm married, my call is to be a husband. My call is to be a father. I'm called to be a brother in Christ. I've, I've got more than one calling, but when I was telling my son, because he's trying to figure out what's next for him, I said, man, you just need to get the pressure off. Because you, we, we try to find our calling like I lost my keys or something. Like I can, hey Siri, find my calling. Help me find my calling. Or I could punch it in to my Apple Maps and it will take me to my calling somehow. And calling is like this twilight zone, arethial thing that it's always out there somewhere in the distant future. And I said, listen, I said, 
your calling is now and later. You remember those as a kid? Watermelon were my favorite, now or laters. Your calling is here now and it's later. See, we want, is it, which one is it, Pastor Lance? Is it now or is it later? Yes. We want one thing, and God says, no, 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 no. I am not going to allow you to put me in a box or, or give you a formula for how I'm going to lead you in my calling. But what I want you to do, I said, I said, your calling is right now. So in other words, what is God calling you to do right now? Because what he's calling you to do right now is going to prepare you for what he wants you to do in the future. And so here's the problem. For many of us, we think our calling's out there, so we never get to it. It's always out somewhere further, so we put it off. We delay it. Young people do this all the time. I did it. I thought, you know, I'll serve God when I'm older and, like, have gray hair or kids or married or something like that. And, and young people put off their calling. I love what Pastor Bob said. I don't know if you caught it, but he said, you could be 14 years old and leave a legacy. I love that. I love that thinking because that's, that's biblical thinking. That is like there's somebody that's eight years old watching you and you could leave a legacy for them by the way that you're living life now. Paul said, I urge you, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling. Here's what I want to tell you. Stop trying to find your calling and let your calling catch you. As you are walking and following Jesus and obeying his voice, see, this is relationship. God is not going to allow you to step into your calling without a relationship with him. He said, seek me and you will find me when you seek me casually, when you come to church every once in a while, when you read your Bible occasionally, when you feel like you really need it, when you do your devotional, when you casually seek me, when you ho-hum worship me with one hand in the air. No, when you seek me with what? All your hearts. There's a guarantee you will find me. So you want to know your calling? Just seek Jesus. He's got it all. He's got it for you. And let it catch you. I love that Paul said, I'm a prisoner. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. See, Paul's calling caught him. He didn't go looking for it. It found him. Listen, when you are walking and obeying and pursuing Jesus on a daily basis, what if you just took it a different approach to your Christian life? What if every day when you got up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, you just said, Holy Spirit, I'm your, I'm your prisoner today. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Speak to me. I'm your, I'm your prisoner. I'm going to do whatever you want. Tell me, what am I called to today? And if you just did that, God will lead you to the next thing that he wants to do and the next thing and slowly you'll start walking in your calling and you won't even recognize it until all of a sudden you'll have this moment of an epiphany where that calling will grip you it will get up all inside of you in your business and you will not be able to shake it you will not be able to let it go it will compel you Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14 he said for Christ's love compels us that's my compulsion. That's my engine. That's my motivation because Jesus died for me. He loves me just like we heard at the end of chapter three. God's love poured out into our hearts. I don't do this because I have to. I don't do this because I'm supposed to. I do it because Christ's love compels me. It gripped me. It's got a hold of me. My calling grabbed me. Now I'm a prisoner to my purpose. I can't shake it. I don't want to run from it. I'm going to embrace it. Come on, there's some of you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're called. You're called. You're called with a divine calling. But listen, here's the deal. For so many of us, we've allowed Americanized Christianity to creep into the church and creep into our mindset. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will know the perfect will, the, the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So this is the problem. So this world that we live in, and especially I believe here in America, one of the things that happened through COVID season is that I think that everybody's talking about 
woke. Everybody's woke. Well, one thing that I think that happened is the church got woke. We got woke to Paul saying that we need to grow up. We need to become mature. We got awakened to where we are maturity-wise in Christ. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, there's several things that the Lord showed me personally and showed me as a, as a pastor and leader in his church that we need to do different. We need to focus, shift our focus because we've even allowed a, a version of Americanized Christianity to creep into the church to where we're getting off mission. And I believe that, that the Holy Spirit wants to reawaken the church to our calling as the church of Jesus Christ and to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us. So I've got four things for you that I believe that we have to be careful that not to let in. If we're going to make our life count, real quick, I'm going to go through these. The first one is this, is the temptation to be popular. Be popular. Everything in our world right now is saying to have significance to make your life count, you need to be popular. Like I need to be a TikTok craze star and and i need to i need to be popular now popularity really the definition of popularity is to be admired um to be liked and to be admired to be looked up to and i think you know there's a part of all of us that um we want that right um, but there's a difference between being accepted and being popular and and we are living immersed in a society just like paul was in ephesus that, that popularity was, was a big deal. Popularity was part of what drives us in our calling and what we're going to do with our time, what we're going to do with our lives, what we're going to do with our gifts, that, that if we're not careful, popularity will drive us. This is actually the same temptation that Jesus dealt with. When he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, it says that the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God... Prove yourself, throw yourself down from the top of the temple and charge your angels to catch you. In other words, do something great to become popular. Make your name famous and I'll give you the rest of the world. And he said, no, 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 that's not how we operate in the kingdom of God. And, and so there's this, there's this mindset. They were always trying to, even Jesus' own family and brothers were saying, hey, go to Jerusalem, go to the big city, go to the big stage. Let your ministry go. In fact, when, when Jesus was, was going to do the first miracle, he had to be urged to do it. And then he, he would tell people, even when he would heal them, be quiet about this. Who does that? They're all like, no, let everybody know. you got to be popular. We're part of a popular ministry. We want to be on the cover of Charisma magazine. Come on, Jesus. Like, what are you doing? That's the point. you got to be popular. And Jesus was always rejecting this notion of being popular. In fact, he would go to the obscure cities and towns and minister. And he would heal people and tell them, don't tell anybody about this. And even when he did crazy miracles, when he, when he um, multiplied the, the loaves and the fish, it wasn't through like heaven's opening and bread and fish flying out of heaven, man. Or like with a, a rocket tube, you know, like shooting fish and bread out, whatever. He did it obscurely, like through the disciples. Just, they just passed out and there was more and there was more and there was more. And there was more. Well, we got to reject this note, especially for young people today. There's such this stigma on our young people that if you're not popular, if you're not in the in crowd, if, if you're not doing something, in, and, and why we have to be careful about this, here's why. Because if we're not careful, that mindset will creep in and we will start making decisions on whether it pleases people and will be admired and liked and looked up to by other people instead of God. The second one is this, the second mindset that we have to break if we're going to make it count for our calling is that we can't equate our calling with doing something or being great. Now, even saying that, I could tell on some of your faces, what do you mean be great? I mean be great by the world's standards. Because the world's standards of greatness is different than the kingdom's standards of greatness. That's clear in Scripture. I mean, you just go to the grocery store and you look, you know, at the magazines that are by, and we are a culture that worships greatness. We erect shrines and statues to people who have done great things, to 
people who have won Nobel Peace Prizes. They've Pulitzer Prize written books that, that created masterpieces that have won Super Bowl championships, held up trophies, put on rings, broke records, uh, won Grammys, won Emmys, won Tony Awards. We idolize people who have done great things. And the problem with that is that we think if we don't do something great with our calling by the world's, world standards, that we're not doing anything significant to make our life count. And, that, and Jesus completely rejected this notion of doing something great. In fact, they were constantly trying, show us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign. Do something great. Do, do something, you know, miraculous like feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and three, two, bre that, two fish. That wasn't miraculous enough. Like, give us a sign. Do something great. You, you got to do something great with your life. We, wanna, we want an earthly king. We don't want a dying Jesus hanging on a cross, King. We want, we want somebody who's going to sit on a throne and be great and rule and reign in this earth. And Jesus was constantly trying to say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Those who want to be first in the kingdom, in my kingdom, they need to be last. Those who want to be great, they got to be a servant to the least. They were, the, the Pharisees, even warned that about the yeast of the Pharisees that were always doing things for show. They prayed for show. They gave for show. Everything was out in the open so that people would think they were great. And Jesus said, no, no, no. In my kingdom, it's different. If you want to do something great, pick up a broom. It kind of reminds me, Pastor David, when you, uh, when you chauffeured, who was it? Um, oh, come on, help me out now. You're supposed to know this. No, no, the minister, Bob John... Bob Jones. Pastor David one time drove Bob Jones, this amazing, big ministry, prophetic guy, and David, David asked him, give me, give me one secret. Give me one secret to success in ministry. He said, son, he's like, take out the garbage and you'll raise the dead. Is that what he said? That's what he said. I think sometimes to be great, I think you should do both, but I think, I think sometimes to be great, all you have to do is take out the garbage. That's Jesus' economy. So right now, you might think, oh, Pastor Lance, this is, this is great. Maybe not. But right now, there are people all over this church that you do not see doing something great. They're serving your kids. They're loving on your kids. They're, they're going to clean up this auditorium when you leave your coffee on the ground and you leave it spilt up. They're going to do something great for the kingdom because they're going to mop it up. They're going to be people that are going to do something great here in a little bit at the end of service, praying for people. They've already prayed on Saturday when you weren't even here. You don't see it. They're doing something great. We got to be careful. And we don't equate our calling with doing something great by the world's standards. The next one is we got to be careful to make our life count by this idea of being successful. Successful. Man, I, I was in business, and we talked about that all the time. We want to be successful. And who doesn't want to be successful? But who defines success? I think this is, that's, that's the real problem is we're allowing the world and people around us to define what is success for us. And because of that, we're taking on these false ideas that my life doesn't really count for anything because I haven't been successful by the world's standards. There are mothers that you have thought of yourself as not being successful because you've stayed at home and you've served your family faithfully day in, day out. You've changed diapers. You've taught your kids to, to honor the word of God. You've taught them to value their relationship with Jesus. And by the world's standards, you don't feel like a success. But by God's standards, he says, oh, you have no idea how successful you are. Your success your success. The last one is that if we're not careful, we can think that making our life count means avoiding suffering and failure. Everything in this life tells us we have to avoid pain, suffering, and by all means, don't fail. Don't fall on your faith. Don't fail. Don't ever try something and not succeed at it because that's, that's failure. 
And I wonder if in the church we have gotten into this Americanized ideology to where we are making it so easy for people, Pastor David, to follow Jesus that there's no, there's no taking up my cross anymore. There's no inconvenience anymore. So I'll, I'll have services on any night of the week that you're available so that you can, um, that, that we as the church will cater uh, our services to around your lifestyle instead of you taking your lifestyle and submitting it to Christ and coming under the authority of Jesus and submitting to him and saying, no, I'm going to get to church on Sunday morning because that's the first day of the week and I tithe my time. I don't just tithe my money. I tithe my time. So I'm going to go to church and worship God with the first and the best part of my week and the best part of my day. I don't care if it's 80 degrees out. I don't care if my camper is cleaned and ready to go. I don't care if it's hunting season. I'm going to worship God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. I want all the things, but I don't want to seek God first. I want a nice service on Wednesday night so I can go camping on the weekend and do whatever I want with my weekend. This isn't a knock on other church because I know some of you automatically thought that and it ain't. I'm just saying we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we don't buy into this idea that our calling comes without suffering pain or failure. In fact, the opposite. I would almost say that there has to be a struggle. James told us this. He said, count it. Ring a bell, count it. You want to make your life count? He says, count it all joy. When? When everything's going great and I feel like I'm just walking in my calling and it's just easy and it's comfortable and it's convenient for me and I, it's just peaches and cream and it's candy land and roses. No, I count it all joy when I go through trials. Why? Knowing that I can count it joy, not because it's fun, it's suffering, it's painful. Nobody likes to do that, Pastor David, but I can count it joy and my life can count for something when I walk through it because I know that the testing of my faith is producing something that comfort and convenience can never produce. So I count it joy because I want my life to count for something that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I counted joy knowing that I've got to go through testing. I didn't get here, let me tell you. Sometimes we look at people and we say, oh man, they must have had it so easy, how nice. They just handed them the keys to that church and all, you know, this building and everything. Let me tell you something. There's a testing that happens behind the scenes that you don't see and I don't see. There's a struggle. It's painful. There's suffering. There's tears. And there's, there can be joy in it because I know in those moments, God is producing in something in me. He's producing patience in me. He's producing long-suffering faithfulness in me. Man, there's some of you in this church. You've been so faithful to this church. It blesses me. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. People don't see the pain. They don't see the suffering. But I count it joy because I know it's producing something in my life that will last for eternity. And really, that's what I want. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the emperor moth. Because one day this man, he saw this emperor moth. Emperor moth is beautiful, big wings, beautiful moth. If moths can be beautiful, I guess that's kind of like a butterfly. Anyway, it was in this cocoon, and this man found this emperor moth cocoon, and he wanted to see it break through, and you know, that beautiful moment where it breaks through and it flies, and so he brought it into his home. And lo and behold, a couple days later, this moth starts breaking through uh, the cocoon, and, but he was watching it, and he noticed that it couldn't, couldn't get through. It was struggling to get through the cocoon, and it couldn't make it through the cocoon. And so he thought he would help it out. So he went and he got some scissors and he, and he, and he cut a piece of the cocoon open so he could come out. And, and sure enough, he helped it get out of its struggle and it popped out, but its body was fat and its wings were small. <laughs> and, uh, and it popped out on the, on the ground all fat and dumpy and it didn't have enough strength and big enough wings to be able to fly. So it just kind of like 
I don't know, hung out on the floor a little bit and crawled around in his big dumpy body. And um, after about four days, it died. And then he went and he looked up, probably on Wikipedia or something, like moths, cocoons, I don't know, and what I would do. And he, what he found out is what happens in the cocoon is it needs to struggle. There's a part of the struggle that produces, there, there's this fluid in the body that as the, the moth begins to struggle and try to break free and get free of the cocoon, that that fluid goes into the wings and the wings begin to grow and expand. And, and what he found out is the struggle is needed for freedom and for finding its purpose. And when, and even as pastors and leaders sometimes, we're bad at helping try to remove the struggle out of your life instead of letting you just stay. There's something sometimes, man, just hear my heart. As a pastor, I, want, I hate it seeing people struggle. I hate seeing people go through things. But I've learned over time that the best thing that I can do sometimes is just to sit back and pray for them and encourage them, hang in there. God's producing something in you. You can count it all joy. And let me tell you, hold on to Romans 8, 28. God is using it in your life, just like we sang this morning. I'm gonna see a victory. When we sing that song, it's not saying everything in my life is, is suffering free and pain free, failure free. It's saying that in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering, I know prophetically I'm going to see a victory whether I see it on this side or that side. I know I'm going to see a victory. Why? Because my God is able, right? He is a master at taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it for good and using it in my life. So I hold on to Romans 8, 28. And it says, I know, not I think, not I wonder, not I doubt. I know that my God uses all things for good for those who love him and who are what? Called according to his purpose. So I can take heart to know whatever I'm going through right now, God is using it in my life and, and to step into my calling. Because the greatest thing that he wants to do is he wants to produce his character in you. That's it. That's why I say Paul reminds us. He starts out by reminding us of the character of Christ that needs to be formed in you and formed in me first before he gets into the charisma. Calling before charisma. Character before charisma. And too many of us, we want to jump into our calling and this is why some of us have tried and failed. You ever feel like there's things in your life, it's like, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Thank you, Pastor David. And um, it's like the same things repeat in my life, right? Over and over again, it is why? Because you've been tested and you've not gotten it yet. God is trying to do something in your character to give you a foundation of strength so that he can take his charisma, his gifts. That's the Greek word, by the way, for grace. When Paul says, I've given you a, a gift, it's a supernatural gift. It's not just, well, I've got a natural gifting and personality to do this, but no, I've got a supernatural capability and ability from God to do something greater than I could ever ask, think, or imagine in my own ability. See, if you could do it on your own ability, it isn't gonna bring glory to God because anybody could do that. God needs to give you a charisma. He needs to give you a cherish, a supernatural grace on your life to do something far greater. And this takes faith. God is building his character in you. I'm gonna close with this story. And we're gonna worship together. How many of you love the Chosen series? It's amazing, isn't it? I love it. And if you have not seen it yet, I highly recommend you go binge, binge Jesus. I love that. Dallas Jenkins. Da hey, we binge Netflix and all these things. I'm telling you, you go and watch this. Dallas Jenkins is the director, uh, producer of that series. And 
I love that series. My family and I, we've been captivated by it. We've been watching it together. And it actually just kind of changed my perspective a little bit on Jesus because it just portrays him in a, in a different light um, that I think other films have not. And I think there's an anointing, a calling on Dallas Jenkins' life to do this. And I was reading, uh, not reading, I was watching an uh, uh, interview with him on YouTube the other night. And in that interview, he talks about how he, um, he had to come to this place where he completely failed to let go of what he thought was success and what he thought he was called to, to embrace what God had actually called him to. And I think this is really significant even for some of you as we close this morning. In the interview, he said something really significant. He talked about how he had done some short films and stuff for his church in Chicago, and um, it got noticed. And this big Hollywood um, production company, they called him and said, hey, we want to partner with you and do a faith-based film. And he was blown away. He thought, this is it. This is, um, this is, this is my shot. This is what I've been called for. This is what I've been working towards. He was this young hotshot director. And even the, this company was a horror film producer. And he's like, this is so cool. God is using a horror film producer to bring faith base to life. And the WWE, the World Wrestling, they even partnered with them. And they did this film called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone or something like that. And the opening weekend, it hit the box office, only made $2 million. Now, I know that's a lot of money to you and me, but to them, like two million in Hollywood standards is terrible. It's failure, utter, utter failure. The producers called them after opening weekend. They cut ties with them. They said, yeah, we're, we're not gonna do this anymore. And he thought he, had, he, he was done. He said, I, I failed. I thought this was what I was called to. Maybe I'm called to something different. I'm, I'm done. He went back to his church where he served in as like the creative director. And for their Easter service, or Good Friday service rather, he produced this little short film. That short film impacted so many lives for the kingdom. People gave their faith to Christ and it circulated around on social media and somebody, another producer in Hollywood saw this, calls him out of the blue and says, we want to partner with you. And we want to do this. They'd heard that he had this idea for a miniseries about the life of Jesus called Chosen. And they said, we want to partner with you in this. And he said, great, how much money are you going to give me to work with? And he said, we're not going to give you any money. We're going to actually crowd fundraise. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's disaster. That's never going to work. The most amount of money that they ever crowd fundraised for was like $7 million. And they needed a minimum of $10 million to make it happen. And those were with famous people that people knew. And I'm nobody. And he said he went before God and he just like felt like such a failure. And he felt God speak to him. This is what I want to speak to you as we close. He said, I do impossible math. He said, I never asked you to feed the 5,000. All I asked you to do was bring me five loaves and two fish. And he said, he got up and he said to his wife, I know what we need to do. We need to do this. They raised over $10 million to start The Chosen. It's been a phenomenal hit, wonder. People are just amazed at how successful it is. But God took something that he failed at and used it to turn around, to help him step into the calling and the destiny and purpose that he had that now God is using in some amazing ways. And let me tell you something. I just want you to close your eyes right now because I want to pray over you. I think there's some of you in here that you feel like a failure. You feel like you're too old, you've missed your calling. There's even this label over you stigma over you, that the enemy has put on you, that you're failed, that, that time ran out, that you can't be used by God to do what he's called you to do, that you'll never know what that is. You'll never step into that. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I break that off of you. In Jesus' name. And I release you. I pray. 
just do me a favor, just put your hand on your heart. Right now, I pray, man, I feel this so strong in my spirit that if not for just some of you, maybe some of you online, I pray right now that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would be enlightened and awakened to the call of God on your life, that you would be gripped by it, that you'd become chained to your calling, a prisoner to your purpose, that you've got a destiny and calling on your life that is greater than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. And I just release those seeds of dreams and destiny and purpose and eternity in your heart to come forth in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now, all over this place, I just want you to stand to your feet. It's not too late. It's not over. It's time to move forward. And right now, we're going to move forward. I'm going to ask the prayer team, the ministry team, to come up here. Some of you need to come up for prayer. If you don't know Jesus today, you need to come up and let somebody pray with you. God is moving in your life, but the first call that you have is to become a son or daughter of God. So come up, pray with somebody today. Step into your calling, move forward. God's got you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.